they was opening the grave again and they was removing the skull. That, who, who, who did that? Hey guys, welcome to The Scientist. I'm Akram Al-Wahabi and today our guest is Dr. Sari Jamo. He is an anthropologist who graduated from the University of Aleppo and then moved to Japan to get his master's and PhD from the University of Tsukuba in Japan. Now he's doing his second postdoc also in the University of Tsukuba after finishing his first postdoc in the University of Tokyo. In today's episode, we go through a lot of interesting topics that revolve around anthropology and its relation to our current time. Some practices that our ancestors used to make and some interesting findings about some of the things we use on our daily basis. Before we get into the episode, I would like to ask you to subscribe and or follow this podcast. In here, we talk about science, the stories behind the research, the struggle and the success. In the Scientist Podcast, everyone will learn something new about science while also hearing the stories of the people behind it. I believe by hearing these stories, we can start to recognize and appreciate the efforts of these researchers. So follow if you haven't already, and let's get to the podcast. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, this is The Scientist. My name is Akram, and today my guest is Dr. Sari. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, so, please introduce yourself. Uh, uh, my name is Sari. I'm from Syria. So easy to remember, Sari from Sari Syria. From Syria. Yeah. So I am archaeologist. I came to Japan in 2013, and I did my master and PhD here. I graduated in 2019, and uh, I did two years postdoc in Tokyo University. And after I finished my position in Tokyo, so I moved back to the University of Tsukuba as a research engineer in one of the research institutions, research institution for like West Asian civilization. West what? West Asian civilization. West Asian civilization. Yeah. Wow. So it looks like an institution. So your field of study is uh, archaeology. Archaeology. I'm studying the archaeology of what we so-called Near East or the Middle East, let me say like Middle East. Okay. So in Japan, we are using West Asia instead of Near East. In Europe, they are using Near East. Near East. Yeah, Near okay. East. So if you like want to make public people to understand it, we can say like the archaeology of Middle East. Even if it's not so precise, so but okay, like Middle East for easy understanding. But in Japan, we say like West Asian archaeology. West yeah. Asian archaeology. West Asian archaeology. Okay, so can you... in Talk to us a little bit about your research. Like, what what did you do? So my research is focusing about, as I say, especially about the West Asian archaeology, especially in the early civilization, like starting from the Neolithic period or what's so called the Stone Age period, which started from like 8,000 BC to 5,500 BC. So this is like a period which I am studying. It's called like a Neolithic period. The Neolithic is new, it's mean like new and lithic. Lithic is mean like uh, stone. And the new is mean like, so a Neolithic is like something like that. So related yeah. to like the technique of like making, etc. what's we called in uh, English. <laughs> like I'm trying to use like very simple terminology yes, in order yes. yeah. to make it complicated for like audience. So we call it like a Neolithic or okay. it's a Neolithic period. So basically... So Neolithic period is something extended from 
9,000, 10,000 PC to 5,500 PC. So about like 5,500 years. Okay, so... Um... So this period is not like entirely like one period. So it's divided into space, into like phases. So when the society, like, like the ancient civilization was developed, so it was not developed like one step. So it developed step by step. So at the beginning, like the people like was inhabiting or like they after they migrating from Africa, they arrived to the Near East, to the Middle East. And at that time, they started spreading all over the world. They came to the West, they went to Europe and they went South, etc. So at that time, like people start settling down and building like their society or civilization. So at the beginning, the life was simple. Mm. Like people was inhabiting caves mm. and rock shelters and like open small camps. Mm. And after that, that uh, after like thousands of years, it's like start developing. And like at that time, it was like accompanied with like weather and climate change at that time so it was very freezing at the beginning and later on later it become like warm when it is warm there is green when it is green there is animals when there is animal there is hunting when there is hunting there is bones when there is bones you can use the bones for <laughs> yeah. like making tools when there is tools you can improve your life so wow. this started like from at the beginning they was living in the cave and after they have migrated the get the caves and they start building like small huts so cool. you research all of this? You should study all of this at the beginning as a background. Ah, okay. As a I background. I thought you researched all of these steps. You have to say, yes, of course. So that was your master's, you mean? Or like, was so this So this is like the general thing. And I was studying, in my master, I studied like one topic called uh, scar removal practice. Skull removal? Scar removal practice. So in the period between... Yes, in this period, the Neolithic period, especially in the Neolithic period. So there was like some funeral practice where after the dead, after the death, mm -hmm. so the deceased was buried somewhere. And mm -hmm. after like period of time, they was opening the grave again and they was remo removing the skull. And they oh, removed... Uh, that, who, who, who did this? The people, the hum society. Humans. Yeah, you're, you're human. We are talking about the human. Yeah, yeah of course, like humans <laughs> that were living in that period, like yes. everyone did it. Well, like the society contributed in this. It looks like when we have like nowadays, we have like symmetry, like all funerary. Yeah. Like a lot of people contribute. Uh -huh. For example, if I died, a lot mm. of people know me in my society that will contribute mm. to my funerary. Yeah. So, but in our society now, like after this, it's over. Yeah. You have nothing to do. Uh -huh. But in the Neolithic period or in the ancient time, after dead, it is a new start or a new beginning. Wow. So, <laughs> okay. like when you die, it's not over. It's a new stage. Really? That, that's yeah. what they believe then? Yeah, that's what they believe. So there is a new stage. So after you died, of course, like, so this is not, like applicable for every single member of the society. Uh -huh. Probably there was some people was selected. Why it's so difficult to give precise answer. Reason, yeah. Why they have been selected. Probably they are like elders or like shaman or probably like, uh, mm. like the post of the society or something like that. Mm. Sometimes like it's related to like the social status of this in the society. Uh -huh. So probably he is high ranking and something like that. Yeah. So. No people, nobody can give like precise answer like why it was conducted 
on some people only. After like, like the somebody have died, they buried him in the grave after like a period of time, especially like after like the flesh was decayed, mm -hmm. they was open the grave and they was removed easily. Mm. This is one method. And the second method for removing the skull, they was cutting the skull using a sharp tools like this. Okay, so talk, talk to us a little bit about this. We will come in later. Yeah. So before like the flesh was decayed, it was it's difficult to remove the skull when you have flesh. Yeah, so they obviously. have to cut the skull. <laughs> this is becoming really so yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> graphic. It's not yeah. it's not like scary thing. It was like such ritual at that times. The same like as we are doing ritual in our modern days for our dead. So yes. they so was how did it develop? Like how did these rituals develop from you know right now we are pretty how can I say we're, we're, we're really gentle with our dead right if somebody dies we're pretty gentle to them but obviously at that time like they good point to, they, so they at that time off. at that time they was also gentling their people through doing that Th so because, that was them being gentle that's true because like if you have been selected for these funeral practices it means that you are special you are unique you have been selected from all between the whole community members why you have been selected it means that you have value. So I told you that nobody can give you a precise answer. Why? I told you probably it is because like the social ranking in the society. Probably he is an elder or like wow. a leader. So it's so difficult to give any specific <laughs> answer why he was selected. But anyhow, he had been selected. Mm -hmm. So the skull had been removed in two ways. Even like by cutting by sharp tools or waiting the flesh until it decays and they was opening and they are just like remove the skull yeah, easily. No, yeah. So after after that, it's not end. So there is like another stage. So this like new stage have been started like around 8,000 PC. So after like the skull was removed, yeah. they was adding plaster to the skull. So they was covering the skull and decorating them by plaster, white plaster. And after that, there was like making some decoration to the eyes, to the mouth. And it looks like they are like probably trying to bring the skull to life or like representing the, the characteristic of the person when he was. So yeah, so it's not over. So after that, yeah. there was at some time, there was putting those skulls in some places, probably for worshipping. Mm. We call it like ancestor worshipping. I think there's some of some form of this still happens now. I think was it, it is in Malaysia. Or? It is so many many like uh, like original people like who is inhabiting Amazon or like some places in Pakistan or like those like Andes or like original people. So they still self they still like the practice. So in our study, when we are studying the ancient times, we oh. are studying the modern or what we call ethnographical studies. Uh huh. So ethnographical studies mean like the people who is living in our communities now, but they are still doing the habits which come back for thousands of years. So in order to understand <laughs> yeah. these days funeral practice, you have to study the ancient funeral practices. So after all of this, after like they putting the skull somewhere and after they worshiping them, yeah. so the whole skull they was collected and they was buried inside a catch. Or like a hole inside the hole and they was gathering like two three four five skulls and they put them together and they was covered and it's over this is 
I, I think this is way more than I expected. I did not think that. I, and I, again, the question was like, what was your research about, right? So w which part of was this the subject of your research? So this was the subject of my research that why or what is the symbolism, hmm. the symbolic reason behind the scar removal? And what what results did you come to find? So I so later like at some period of time that like these practices was carried out on local like on community scale. So whole community was contributing in. Mm. But later, like when the society was developed, we called it like pottery Neolithic period when they start inventing pottery mm. about seven thousand years ago. So mm. this funeral practice like have decreased too much. Mm. So it's and it's like start being practicing very very limited scale. So probably like once or twice on one member or two members. So mm. I studying that why it was decreased at this period. So we thought that probably at that time the community or this practice was not carried out on a community scale, but it was carried out on family scale. So that's why like only some families was selecting some of me of their members. So that's why this practice was decreased decreased. And uh, it was like selective nowadays. And it was selective was like on family scale, not society scale. Mm -hmm. That's why the number of evidence is small compared to the previous period. So this was a topic of my wow. master thesis. Your master's thesis. Yeah, this one. And, and, and yes, so again, so if somebody is listening to this uh, podcast and, and they're thinking, uh, I want like somebody who studied archaeology, mm -hmm. right? That bird is upset. <laughs> if if somebody was like into archaeology or like studying bachelors in archaeology, mm. right? Uh, is it possible for them to continue and work as an archaeologist without proceeding to do masters and PhD? Or this type of research that you're doing requires having a masters and a PhD? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so it depends on what kind of like future career you are looking for. Uh -huh. So there is like some people after they finish in their bachelor, mm -hmm. bachelor. So they are working in like the directorate general of antiquity, uh -huh. somewhere like in the country where they are belong for. And according to that, they could like working in office, like work or like in field work. So it depends. But if you like want to continue your master and PhD mm -hmm. to get like one day like a main excavator that could be like a person like main excavator in a site, like to go to a site and make excavation and get the budget, etc. So you have, you need like your master and PhD for this. This is one of like, and excuse me, you might be upset with me for saying this, but when you think about archaeologists, you, you think about movies like The Mummy and <laughs> something <laughs> like that. And people like being like, you know, wearing that kind of yeah, clothes. The leather and that, yeah, leather. Yeah, leather. How and... close is that to reality? It's close. Because we always tell them like professor or doctor, they call them like that. So that's true. Yeah. Uh, How like, close is that? It's it's clear. Like what you see in the movie, it's clear. Uh, like it's clear image, in fact, or it's like correct, probably like correct image because it's not like superficial. It came from like probably background of archaeology, etc. Yes, like the people at the beginning of like the life, or, like in the ancient time, they was like wearing. We think that they was wearing some customs, okay, because it was very cold, etc. And we believe that probably at the beginning they was using the leaves the like trees leaves etc but after they start hunting they start like get used from the leather of the animals and they start make creating clothes like time by time by time i, I, I was talking about 
Are we talking about the archaeologists right now or about the people? About the people and the uh, ancient times. I, I was talking about the archaeologists. You know, oh. archaeologists as, you know, they, they wear these glasses and they wear these kind of clothes and, you know, they have this kind of nerd or geeky <laughs> type of look, right? How uh, that is that close to reality? It like, is. Really? It is, that yes. too? It is. It is because <laughs> okay. when you are doing that, it's not like because it is like a custom that you want to show that you are archaeologist. Because when you go to the field, mm. you need like some protection in your okay. clothes and your like hat in clothes because you are under the heat of the sun, like 45 degree, 40 degree. So of course you need the hat. You need that kind and of And there is like you are surrounding with dust. Uh -huh. So many, like many people, are, like they prefer to use glasses, especially like sunglasses, uh -huh. because when you are like facing the sun the whole morning, you will be like blind. Yeah. So that's why you need some customs. So it's some it's more people like using like short pants. Some people use long pants. Uh -huh. So because sometimes you are working in places where there is like scorpions, insects, snakes. So you have to take some measurement. But when those like who's working open spaces, so probably it's more safe so they can like have like short pants etc so it depends oh. on the situation of course you have to take like some protection because you are working in the field where is, there is nothing this is also this is kind of interesting for me and again i'm sorry because i keep going back to mummy movies and whatever but yeah <laughs> i'm really sorry about that but it, it's really interesting for me like it 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 requires a person with a very certain type of curiosity to go into graves and to things that are completely unknown, you know, mm. and I don't know. I think I'll be too scared to do it but for professionals. Is there like more like, is it just curiosity or is this like a method and a way that removes the pain factor? It is the, the fear factor. It is passion. Passion. Okay. It's, when you get passionate about something, you, you skip, uh, you skip away all the risks. So, and so the risks are there. You, you just kind of absolutely there is risk. Of course, absolutely there is risk. Of course, so there is risk everywhere when you are like working any single places like away from like civilization center. If you like get, for example, pitted by snake or by scorpions, probably you will die in the place. And sometimes when you like <laughs> yeah. make excavation like in like in a tomb underground, so probably it will collapse over your head. So if you didn't take measurement. And also, like, it's, as I told you, there is a passion to discover what's inside. So this passion drove you to skip away the risk and focus about what you're looking at. But because, what, what are the measures? Like you mentioned, like measures that you use in order to kind of avoid being in dangerous situations. Actually, there what is kind no, of measures? Actually, use? there is no like specific measure at all. Uh -huh. Because you cannot, you don't expect what you're gonna face at all. Exactly. So, so yeah. sometimes like we are going like this, like with normal clothes, with nothing else. So, but also like we just like have first aid uh, bag. You always have else. first aid <laughs> at least, bag. With at you. least because like when you are doing excavation in some site, it's like far from any civilization center for like 20, 30 kilometer or like five, six kilometers. So to arrive to that place, if you like face an accident, you need at least 30 minutes to one hour so probably you will die at that time <laughs> yeah this is what i also what i wanted to ask you is there like a medical team that you have with you or no you don't? we don't have no you don't no we don't the, okay maybe uh, other well-equipped teams do they have medical staff no no because really. because like instead of spend the budget for medical stuff you can <laughs> yeah. spend this budget for like workers and like for other stuff which like 
help you to find or to increase your excavation. So medical stuff, <laughs> so probably you will spend the entire your life without facing any incident at all. And probably uh-huh. sometimes you will face like heat stroke or something like that. So this is the most like what we are facing, like heat stroke and like some probably like insect attack. <laughs> that, say, that, that's like, the most the thing that yeah. you will face. Yeah, but you, if you like take measurement, it's not so dangerous. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. It's not that Pretty dangerous. interesting. Yeah. So this this brings me to the to the next question mm. on our list. So uh, during your PhD mm. or during your studies, what what were the difficulties that you faced? What was like something that was specifically that you found was hard for you? For our research, like as an archaeology, the data, collecting data. Uh-huh. If you don't have like original data, you cannot do research. For example, in the term of like any single field of uh, study, like chemistry, like mathematics, like computer science, you can do all of this in your lab. Yeah. You can buy like whatever you want and you can do it in your lab. But in our case, if Mm. we didn't go to excavation, to the field work, we cannot have data. So you have to go for excavation to the field work to get materials, to study, to make research publication, your PhD. Otherwise, it's so much difficult like to do your research just based on published data. For example, like my data has been published, your data has been published and I have collected all of them and I make research. It's not accepted. You know, in, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. So you have to go to the field, you have to find materials and you have to do a research that nobody ever did it before. So this yeah, is obvious. So this is PhD. This yeah, is PhD. Right? So you have to create a book where nobody ever have done. So it's not like only like you can collect like published paper from here and public information from here and you can gather all of them in one book for 200, 300 pages and you can publish it. So it's not your work. It's not your own work. Yeah. It's what you. It's what others' work is. But in our yeah. case, you have to go. So here, here's a difficulty that sometimes we cannot go, especially like we are working in the Middle East and you know, this, the, the political situation in the Middle East is risky. So sometimes we cannot go there. Yeah. So in this case, we will face a lot of stress. There will be a lot of stress and difficulties. Time is running and PhD is running. Yeah. Your so scholarship I- is gone and you couldn't make any achievement. So here the stress is increased and increased and increased. And you have to finish your PhD within a certain time? Mm-hmm. Like how, how many years? Is this? For me, it took four years. Four years. Four years. And uh, if you don't finish it within these four years, there is basically your scholarship is over and you have to... Exactly. Uh, what's the scholarship? Did you come to Japan with mixed scholarship? When I came to Japan, I came on my own expenses. Oh. So I don't have any scholarship. I didn't have any program at all. So I came by my own expense. I supposed to apply for mixed scholarship, but uh, because of the like conflict started in Syria, so the cultural program between Japan and Syria have suspended. Oh. So this this speech is, this story it was in 2011, at the beginning of 2012. So I supposed to apply for the mix or a, and yeah. get the examination to come to Japan. Yeah. But unfortunately, all the cultural program between Japan and Syria had been oh. cancelled okay. and stopped. Uh-huh. So I have to look for alternative option. Hmm. At that time, so before that, I have participated in excavation in Syria. So the University of Tsukuba 
carried out excavation in Syria, and I participated in excavation for two years. Mm -hmm. And the supervisor liked my attitude, and at that time I was like fluent in English, and he like he said that you are a good uh, student, you can speak English well. If you are interested about studying in Japan after your graduation, I'm ready to help you. So this is how I came to Japan. Uh, that was your professor? That uh... The current professor, yes. He oh, was, really? Yes. Okay. So, so he was in Syria. <laughs> yeah, nice. And that professor, I have been introduced to that professor by another professor. Uh -huh. She was my teacher in the University of Aleppo. Uh -huh. So she introduced me to her friend and her friend invited me to Japan. The scholarship had been cancelled, so we start looking for alternative options. So he told me that, okay, we can try to invite you as a private student, private financial student. Mm -hmm. So I came first time to Japan on 2012, I think. Mm -hmm. So it was like test. He was testing me on real okay. to see if I am really applicable to be a master student or not. Uh -huh. And probably I have succeeded. That test at that time. I guess time. so. You're here now. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like 10 days uh -huh. uh, visit, and he asked me to prepare for a presentation, and I gave like two presentations, one in symposium, one for the undergraduate student, etc. So he said, oh, okay, if you like it hard, you can come. So at that time, I have started asking about the procedure for applying for like enrollment in the University of Tsukuba. Mm -hmm. And I started submitting my documents. At that time, I moved from Syria to Lebanon. And I was waiting in Lebanon because there is no airport in Syria to departure from. So we started departing from Beirut, from Lebanon. Uh -huh. So after I left Syria in 2012, I stayed like for one year in Lebanon. During that time, I came twice to Japan. The first time like for this test. And the second time after I submitted my document, I came for the entrance examination in Japan. So I came for 10 days also and I did my, my entrance examination. I came back again to Lebanon. I was waiting the result. So two three months later, they have been in, they they have been informed they have informed me that uh, you have been accepted in the University of Tsukuba. So here the journey has been started. So I came <laughs> to Japan with uh, five thousand dollar. It's about like five hundred thousand yen. Yeah. And I came at the beginning. I have no scholarship, and because you cannot apply for scholarship before you come to Japan or before you accepting or you get enrollment. Uh -huh. After you get enrollment, you can apply for scholarship. So for six months, I couldn't find like any scholarship because I am late. So I started looking after six months of coming to Japan, I applied for scholarship called JASO. Ah, I heard of it. Yeah, yeah JASO, it, like yeah. it's like about 65,000 yen scholarship. Mm -hmm. And it was better than nothing for me. Obviously, yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, especially that at the beginning, I start like, I told you I came with $5,000 only, which about like 500,000 yen. Mm. And after like one month of my arrival, I have received the first bill, which was like my admission fee to the university. And it was 300,000. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was the first great shock for me. 300,000 is like about $3,000. Yeah. After like just one month, I received another bill for the tuition fee, the first semester tuition fee, uh -huh. which was about like 280,000 yen. So if you okay. calculate both of them, it's going to be like about 600, something like 600,000 yen. And I don't have 60,000 yen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. So, how, how did you manage? How, like, so you have to survive. I start like working from here and here, and my teacher like helped me with part-time job here and like going wow. to excavation here and get some money here. So eventually, I could collect those money, and I have applied for like exemption for tuition fee, and I get like fifteen percent discount. Fifteen or fifty? Fifteen, one fine. Oh, really? So it's not that much, but better yeah. than nothing, of course. Uh, obviously, but so, I, I thought they will be a little bit more generous with you since you're self-funded, you know? <laughs> no. 15 there is, is no, no exception, in fact. Wow. There is no exception. So, mm. yeah, the first semester I paid about like 500,000 dollar, 500,000 yen, which about like 5,000 yen, 5,000 dollar. dollar. Yeah. So, <laughs> it was just like this, like suffering from the beginning. So the next semester I get the uh, JASO. Uh-huh. And uh, it like helped me like at least I was part of my like living expenses. And I started doing like part-time job inside the university. So I started collecting money from here to here just to pay for tuition fee. Uh -huh. So at that time I consult with the International Student Center uh -huh. to apply for scholarship. And uh, they say, okay, we will test your uh, applications. And there is like, I had been nominate, nominated by the university to apply for Mitsubishi Scholarship, Mitsubishi International Scholarship. Mm -hmm. So the University of Tsukuba have like three people that can receive it. So five people can apply for this scholarship and mm -hmm. five can get it. Mm -hmm. And I won, was one of them. And I get it the first time on 2000, 2014. Mm -hmm. But Mitsubishi is only supporting for the master. Okay. So for two years. So if you get it in the second year, you will only get it for one for year. For one year, yeah. And it was like so frustrating for me that... Uh, then you have to apply I have to supply again. again. So at the end of 2015, after my graduation, there was like a meeting for all mixed like scholarship or like for all scholarship in Tsukuba in like one event, like Mitsubishi, Toyota, Mix, etc. All of them was meeting in one event. Uh -huh. one event inside the university and there was like people in charge about this scholarship and the person who helped me to apply for this scholarship in the international student center in Tsukuba, he have introduced me to somebody who like responsible for like person in charge for selecting candidate for Mitsubishi and I talked to him that I said like oh, I came to Japan like this and because I get it next year for the second year of master, so I only get Mitsubishi for only one year, and I I came from Syria where I don't have any funding, etc. So I'm looking for fund if you could like help me with that. And uh, I have noticed that he have like a list of like the name of all students, about 450 students, etc. Many students, we were many students, and I have noticed like after he said, okay, we'll consider that. So after he turned his back, I noticed that he put a mark on my name. He marked my name. Uh -huh. So, so but that we, was a good to, sign? It was like a hope. Okay. Yeah, it was a hope. But later, like after like a couple of months, I received a call from the university and they are telling me that Mitsubishi exceptionally gonna supported you for the end of your PhD. So it's mean like I'm going to Until have Until the for, end of your PhD. Yeah, I mean like three years, PhD three years. Yeah. And one year of master, so it was four years. And it was exceptionally, I get it. So you can see that. Like, yeah. start smiling to me. <laughs> well, that that is a. Uh, I wouldn't say it's just luck. Like you worked hard to get there, right? Yeah, like, it was really hard. He wouldn't have 
you know, considered you if he doesn't think that you were worthy of it, right? That's true. That's true. Yeah, the good point yeah, is like I have. So it's not so. It's like equal to mix. Like it was 150,000 yen a month. Mm -hmm. But also, it's not included your tuition fee. You have to pay your tuition fee. Oh, okay. So that's from this. But that's anyway, so I could like but manage it. But it was much it. better. Yeah. Of course, before, absolutely, yeah. it's much better when you came first. You have nothing, and you yeah. have to pay all the tuition fee. Yeah. Anyway, so I manage it. So later on, like you think that you, it's not enough. I want to climbing up. Yeah. So when I am, was the first doctoral student, I have applied for the first research fund. And I got it at that time. It's called from foundation called Mishima. Mishima Foundation. Mm. Probably you can put the link for people. I, I, and I Please, like if you provide me with any link, I'll put it in the yeah, description. I will, yeah, like, I hope like young researchers get benefit from that. Yeah. yeah. It's called Mishima Foundation. They gave me the first... Uh, research fund was yeah and in the next second year of my phd i decided to apply for the gsps japan mm -hmm. society for promotion of science yeah and i submit my document and i got it so i got it when i was i applied when i was in the second year of my phd mm -hmm. and they gave me for two years so it was third year and fourth year of phd that's why my phd took four years not three years because i, I have funding uh -huh. So GSPS, like, I think it's the top one in Japan. It is. It, it is, gives yeah. like 200,000 yen for like your living expenses. Plus to like research fund, it depends on your majority every year. Yeah. So it was like good. So this is what's like helped me to finish my PhD successfully in 2019. Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> this is an exciting like... Feels like a movie, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really moving nice. from uh, one country to another in order to come to Japan and like this. Yeah, was... yeah. They're, they're like huge, like very like long series right? of actions. Exactly. <laughs> so maybe thinking about now is exciting, right? Mm. Or like you feel good about it. But back then, it must be. It must have been like very. How can I say like not terrifying then like nerve wracking. That's true. Right? That's true. It was not easy, right, to go through That's that. That's true. So you you see that now the field of arch or the field of academic in all stages it's like challenging. Quite challenging. So yeah. you have to prove yourself. Like you have to work hard. Mm. Some people like get it easy. Some people get it in the most difficult way. Anyway, like nothing easy anymore in academic. It's so challenging. It is. It is. A huge number of candidates and few number of chances. Exactly. So you have to be like. Anyway, so I think that the happy part of the academic life have just over and the difficult part have just started, <laughs> started after right. you getting your PhD. Your PhD. And it is like positions for PhD are always quite difficult to come by. They're not easy. And I think it's the same also for like archaeology. It's, uh, it's, it's not uh, it, like you said, like. There are only few positions and there are many people who would be, not many people, but like, you know, every department produces these PhD that's graduates true. and then that's true. there are no positions to hold them in. That's true. I think, I think this, this issue is not like related to specific field and yeah. all the field of academic, they are not the same. Yeah. Like a huge, large number of candidates and graduated students, but very few number, limited number of positions. So. Academic. Challenging and fighting between here and here until <laughs> <Yeah>. like <laughs> only like one like mm. it's it's like it's a special for every single field of archaeology of, of uh, academic field. So mm. I think that your story is the same. My story is the same. 
And yeah. everybody like have this challenge that you applied for like one, two, 10, 20 application and none of them had been accepted. <laughs> you just like yeah. received the email that, oh, we regret to inform you that we will not fulfill your yeah. dreams. Thank like, you very much. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank I hate you. that email. Like, we hope you all the best in your future endeavors. Like, don't <laughs> hope me. Don't hope me. Give me a job or not. Like, I know. That's true. So this but, is a typical yeah. answer, like usual yeah. typical answer, yes. The, just a question. Uh, I, I want... This might be a little bit rude, but the study of archaeology is, you know, you're studying like people who were living here like thousands of years ago, something like that, but... How does it relate to our life now? What is the relation? Actually, it is not a rude question. It is one of the most beautiful questions that we, the archaeologists, <laughs> Thank you. like to hear. Thank that's you. Yes. What is the importance of archaeology? What is the connection between archaeology in our modern days and ancient times? Is it like any connection, any connection between the ancient and modern civilization? Of course. Now we are studying the archaeology not only like for studying the past of the human history, but also to provide mutual, mutual understanding between the ancient and modern civilization. Now, like most of the, like most of the things that have been created in the world, like which like created the, the civilization, it came from the Middle East. If you talk about agriculture, agriculture started in the Middle East, especially in the Euphrates area near Syria, in Syria. If you talk about uh, wine and beer and you ask Japanese all of Japanese like wine and beer but if you ask him where is the wine and beer came from the oldest evidence for beer is came from Iraq the oldest, really yes I didn't know that the oldest evidence for wine is came from Armenia and Iran if you are talking about mythology making metal where is the oldest evidence for mythology came from it came from the Middle East as well probably from Turkey so when you are look for example where is the stamps? Do you know the stamps? Yeah. The stamps stamp which like Japanese doing using them in every single day for their, their daily life basis, documentation, etc. You know what this came from? Oh, yeah. This came from the Middle East, from Syria. So Th that's you, where they started it? Yes. It started like six thousand five hundred years ago. And uh, the site where I was excavating in, we have excavated the oldest evidence for stamps in the world. Plus, if you want to Cemetery. Who have invent, who have started the cemetery? The ancient people. Now all, all of our dead is buried inside cemeteries. But where did this cemetery started from? It started in the Middle East. So all of these things came from the Middle East. So nowadays, like you can see, like the world is divided into like two parties. Like those and like how to say, let me say like like now that we have like some conflict between the Middle Eastern society and Islamic societies and like some other Western countries from that term of politics. But if we like, when, you, when we are archaeologists looking at this, we say that the Middle Eastern societies, which is now like really related to Islamic societies or like mainly Islamic society, it is not in conflict with those in the Europe or other part of the world. If we talk about Christianity, which is like the majority of people in Europe, it came from the Middle East. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So every, yeah, you yeah. can see like, like there, in the, the same time, time, in the same time, we cannot ignore that there is a huge influences from the Western civilization and our civilization, especially after the industrial revolution in the 16th and 17th, 18th century and so on. So it's mean that the ancient civilization and the modern civilization are connected and we are not in conflict. 
No, we are completing each other. So instead, so we are an archaeologist instead like promoting this like racism and speech of hate among media and politics, etc. We are using archaeology to show that the ancient or the modern, the ancient civilization, which is mainly in the Middle East and the current and the civilization in the Europe are connected and they are interacting together from the ancient time to now. As I told you, like agriculture started in the Middle East. Stamp C started from the Middle East. The beer and wine, which everybody drinking every day, came from the Middle East. So a lot of things came mainly from the Middle East. So when you introduce people to that, so it's like broad, like mutual understanding between those people that we are not in conflict. No, we are in peace. And your civilization is completed mine and mine is completed you and both of us are influences. So we are not in fight. We are in harmony. That is definitely This is our message from archaeology. So it's not like only studying the ancient past or like learning how the ancient people like made made a knife from a piece of yeah, can, can you talk to me a little bit about this stone? Like, cause yeah, when you when you showed it to me, <laughs> I, I I I did not imagine. Please talk to us about, about this stone. So probably you can put it close to camera. So this is what we called. This is like what the ancient people was used for creating their tools. And uh, we called like it's it's what we so called like obsidian. It's similar to what's so-called obsidian. It's, it has a texture like glass, but it's very solid and sharp. So the ancient people was creating their object, knife, and like the arrowhead from those stones. And as you can see, it's very sharp. So if you just like scratch your screen, you will be bleeding for like five, 10 minutes. So the ancient human that was very smart, he was not like stupid, like as like probably people think, ah, oh, you came from the ancient time. No, the ancient time <laughs> yeah. people are smarter we're, than you, by the probably, way. We're probably smart, yeah. Because, you know, people when they think like, yeah, when we heard that ancient people used stones to cut uh -huh. things, you, you would never imagine this, you know, th this type of stone that looks like this and it's mm. pretty sharp. And just looking at it, you know, gives you, you, you know, <laughs> I could cut myself, you know, just playing. That's true. This, right? this can kill you. If I like scratch your neck, you can, it can kill you. I, I hope you don't do that. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> but if you disestimate the ancient times, so it will be risky. Okay? Yeah, right. No, but seriously, like, yeah, people so, do like, not like have people that People at that time, they were smart. So when people, like we say, like when people that have invented the stamp C 6,005 years ago, it's the same when you say, like, Steve Jobs have created the Apple, like, Apple Mac, like, couple years ago. It's the same, but in different like periods, yeah. different eras. So the ancient people was very smart. It was like intelligent. He was looking for like important resources. You cannot like find any single stone in the street and you can perform it and you make a knife. No, you have to look for like meta resources, like strong resources, which is like can serve you for like hunting, for cutting bones, for cutting for like like taking the skins etc so that's why they was looking for like good resources of stone so they was surging and surging and surging until they find that precise kind of stones so the ancient people was smart they have created many things that we are using now in our days they have started the writing not we they have started the stamp seals not we they have started the beer and the wine which we are drinking every day not we what did we make what we have made now it came from the ancient time so we should be respectable for the ancient societies 
of course, like every single civilization in the world, Egyptian, Mesopotamian, like Levant, and like, um, like other, of course, like other like Roman period and the Greece period and and these, etc. Like every single civilization, they have provided something for the modern world. So we have to show some respect for the ancient civilization. So the ancient civilization and our modern civilization are connected. They are not disconnected, as, as I can show, as I showed now. This is interesting point about studying archaeology. Yeah, I did not know. And we forget the glass as well. This is also the glass and pottery. It was also invented by the ancient people long time ago. Yeah, so the pottery, for example, the oldest pottery came from Syria. Oldest pottery, like one of the oldest pottery like in Kavar in the world came from Syria about 7,000 years ago. 7,000 years yeah, ago? Yeah, 7,000, 7, no, 6,000, 6, about 7,000 PC, it's been like... Um, yeah, that's 7,000 PC, that's like 9,000 years 9, ago. 9,000 years ago. Like, <gasps> wow. Yeah, about like, yeah, 9, 8, it's like, like 9, 8,000 years ago, yes. So at that time, like, now everybody using pottery in his daily life. Glass, everybody using glass in his real life. The metal, everybody using metal in his real life. All of those came from the ancient societies. And they have, it was developed, developed, developed step by step until it reached this sophisticated level. So we have to show great respect, A bit for, respect the ancient, for the ancient. But I'm happy for that. <laughs> <laughs> so far we've been talking about the difficulties of doing your PhD and the things mm. that you had to go through. Uh, how about you know the good things the good memories what was fun about your phd what were the fun experiences that you had the fun thing about my research that we were in an atmosphere where like most of the students they have like international mentality so we were international student and japanese student and we are all like doing phd or like master in archaeology but in different study region like somebody studying syria somebody iraq somebody central asia somebody russia somebody etc archaeology all related to archaeology it was super fun, like all of us was in the same lab. This lab like was like our home. We came every day from nine in the morning. We come back at 12 midnight just for sleeping because we have nothing to do in our house because this was our house. We were eating, drinking, fun, party, etc. Plus studying. So it was like a huge motiva motivation for like doing your research. When you find like some friend next to you doing your, their research and the, that's motivated you to do your research. Mm -hmm. So we spent a like long time in the lab, we were sleeping in the lab, we were kid, like doing our cooking in the lab. So it was like fun. So when you see like some people around you like motivating and they are studying hard, that's motivated you also to do hard. So this was like really fun. We spent very nice times, very challenging time, very sad, very happy times all together. And of course, like our teacher was so supportive. They were like sometimes provide us with chicken, sometimes provide us with a cake, <laughs> especially really? in, the, in the in the like uh, like at the end of the year, like where there's a parties, etc. Mm -hmm. And at that time, like everybody busy was like writing their thesis or like mm -hmm. articles, etc. So the teacher was supportive. So this was like really fun. So I consider like my study in Japan, despite the difficulty, it was like the most happy period in my life. Really? It was the most happy period in my life. And uh, like your life is not only supposed to be concentrated only on your research in, in between your, you don't have only to dive between books and your computer and your research. You have to find something else. Go out, like take off day, do sports. So, so, so yeah, what were the things that you, that, uh, uh, that was actually my next question. 
What, what did you do in order to kind of have fun, in order to, you know, when you get stressed out, what did you, you do know, to relieve the stress? Tsukuba is related to sport. <laughs> really, yes. yeah. So Tsukuba is related to sport. So if you really want to have a fun, if you really want to have friends, uh-huh. regardless if they are Japanese or like international students, uh-huh. sport is the only field that you can do it. Really? Yeah. So in my, I never feel lonely. I like Tsukuba so much because I have met many, many people. Not only Japanese people, but also like from all over the world. All mm-hmm. of us, like for example, met in the sport court. We're like everybody like coming every Sunday, and uh-huh. we are working together, playing together, have fun together. Sometimes like. But what's, what's what sports do you? For do, me, like I was, that? I was like uh, playing soccer. Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah, but there's like there's some people they was like interested in swimming, some people in tennis. So like, mm-hmm. sport is uniting people. It is, yeah. yeah. They say music and sports are like the languages that people don't need, do not need to speak. You know? That's true. And so like Tsukuba itself, like it has like a lot of facilities. Mm. And I think like those who have been living in Tsukuba <coughs> they have experienced that. Or like, of course, like many students, they're still like facing some lonely time or like some difficulties of communicating, like with people from around the world or probably Japanese. So, but uh, mm. you can't find your way. So I think Tsukuba like is a nice place where you can find a lot of activities right mixing like international students with Japanese people and it was really fun. And it was really it, funny it, for it, me. It's interesting because many people say that, that they cannot make friends hmm. with especially in Japan. Is is that the case for you or no? You know what? I think it depends on the institution or in the university. It depends on the university. Mm-hmm. In my case, like I spent two years in Tokyo. I couldn't make any friendship. Really? I couldn't make any friendship. But probably, I don't know, probably because it was not like student life for me. It was like research life. Uh-huh. But in total, I didn't meet new people in Tokyo. But I met many, many people in Tsukuba. And nowadays, I meet them. I, I sometimes like met them in the train station or on the train. Uh-huh. Or like they are, they still live in Tsukuba and they work in Tokyo. So we are meet on the train, like, so just like. I see. So there is like, in Tsukuba, there was like nice life for us. I like mm-hmm. it so much. I never feel lonely in Tsukuba. Like even it is like it's boring city, but when you have friends, you don't feel bored. I mean, what is boring? Boring is when you have nothing to do. Exactly. But, but if you had friends, if you're participating in activities, exactly, then it's definitely not boring, exactly. right? Exactly. So I think like I enjoy my life in Tsukuba, and I, I I encourage like people to study at the university in Tsukuba. It's really a nice place. Yeah. So this is. Man, you're, you're really moving to the next question without me saying it. This is amazing. So if, if somebody is, you know, wants to continue their postgraduate studies or if they want to, you know, move to the next step, hmm. do you recommend, what, what is your recommendation for them? What is your advice for these people? First of all, like it depends on what he or she want to study and yeah. where to study. Mm-hmm. So like first thing that like searching for the funding. Like funding is one of the most important things. If you like find good funding, you can like move smoothly in your research. Plus like choosing the institution where like can feel for your dreams or you, it's like connected to your field. Not only like choosing like, for example, the University of Tokyo because it is the first ranking university and like escape, skipping, for example, like the University of Hokkaido because it is far or it's cold. You have like to follow the places where it's matched with your needs and you know, with your career. 
So for me, like Tsukuba, like we have like a number of departments of archaeology in Japan. Mm. But for me, I think like Tsukuba was the best. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's why I chose Tsukuba. And I really recommended the other, like those who is like looking for the following step in their career or in their life, choose the exact place that they can find their research and their so the, career. So the best place for their type of field, right? The, the best department that does the same research that they're interested in, right? Mm. But yeah, th this I wish somebody told me this, you know, like uh, the name of the university is not as important, you know, no. as the lab, That's true. you know, as who's, who's going to supervise you. That's true. So like you said, like you can be in Tokyo University, but you might be in a department that is not that That's awesome, true. right? Yeah. That's true. So yeah, I think, so it's like interesting, like especially like for international students, they should look for like atmosphere where they can like exchange knowledge with the students. So mm -hmm. like, of course, like it's not easy like for those newcomers to Japan to determine which location they need or which like university they are suitable for so in this case like the best thing is like recommendation from friends or like from like those groups which like so for example in case of our in syria like we have like a group on facebook where like those newcomers they are asking the people here that i am specialist in this where did you recommend and people in the same specialty they ask they told them that please do you have this option you have this option this have this option and here, how, how, how do you introduce the newcomers to how to choose? Otherwise, so when you come, you, you will do nothing. So like Google it. What is the best university for studying medicine? So you'll find a university of the University of Shizuoka, the university. Yeah, so it's not so precise. It's not so precise. But then I think it would be better to ask and try to find the better place to come before you even come to Japan, right? Exactly. Because, for example, if you come here with, with Mext or something, then you're, you're basically it's already determined where you go to. Ah, you come here true. with an acceptance already. That's true. So I, I, I think, like you said, like know your destination before exactly. you, <laughs> you know, exactly. you dive into it. Exactly. Right? Yes. Because yeah, when you choose like, when you choose like good institution, good destination, with like when you like like relief of the place you are working in of course you will be creative yes you will be creative so yeah. when you enjoy what you are doing you will be creative but if you like feel frustrated like nowadays like the student now suffering with corona for example mm. and there is we have like a newcomer student to our department but it is now like so frustrating no no new student everything mm. online and uh, yeah. So like now it's challenging. I'm I'm really like sorry for those like newcomers, especially like those who are now like in the third, like in the second or third undergraduate or like the first or second year master or PhD. So it's like so difficult situation for them. Like in our time, mm -hmm. I think that we have enjoyed, we have enjoyed our college life. I, I think it's true too because first of all, you know the online thing solved many problems but created another one exactly like human interaction is so awkward <laughs> on like on zoom or something like that that's true if you're meeting people if you're trying to you know i, I don't know like i think i would rather to meet people like this it, it makes it a lot more natural right that's true but uh, like let's say if if this online environment did not exist then 
it's also quite difficult. Like, yeah, it, it would have been much. Uh, much you are right. You are right. Yes, this pandemic and this online, like life, it have like advantage and disadvantage. Yeah, like the advantage thing that at least like we could able to continue the academic or like our life remotely. Mm. But in the same time, you have missed the sense of place and the interaction, the direct interaction between a human, which is like really essential in the field of academic. Let's talk about academic. Or not like in the old basic of life, so it's, it's essential. But anyhow, I think that uh, here it was a difficult time for those like newcomers. And uh, like the thing now, like gradually getting better and better. So probably like the life will recover again. Hopefully, yes. Yeah. So, well, I think I, I asked you already a lot of questions. Uh, if there are any, any last thoughts that you want to give to anybody that is listening to this podcast? Uh, learning is fun. Learning is fun, but after learning, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it is. It's okay to use stuff like this. I mean, suck is fine. Like it, it, it really is. Like so it's, it, it's a pretty difficult process. Yeah, after so, you graduate. Right? Yeah. So I think that, like, it's so difficult to, to decide your future. You can like think about your future. Like you can like climb the stairs step by step. So if you start like if you are master or PhD student start thinking about after graduation life, you will be so frustrated. Okay, just like try to climb the stair one by one, step by step, and it's gonna be easy. Life is fun, and learning is fun as well. Yeah. Okay then. Thank you very much for your time today. <laughs> and uh, today was Dr. Sari was with us, and I will see you in another podcast. Bye bye. Bye bye.